0: What I Believe was the title of two separate essays by the philosopher Bertrand Russell and the novelist E.M. Forster in the early 20th century. These two humanist activists set out their approach to life, their fundamental worldview, in a way that was accessible to all. I'm Andrew Copson, Chief Exec of Humanists UK, and in this podcast I'm talking to humanists today about what they believe, to understand more about the values, convictions and opinions they live by. This week we're joined by Paul Sinha. Paul is a British comedian, broadcaster and quizzer, perhaps best known currently as the Cinnaman on ITV's quiz show, The Chase. And as well as being an expert quizzer and comedian, he's performed many times on radio, presented many of his own programmes, and he's also a qualified physician. More importantly than all of that, he's a patron of Humanists UK. Paul, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: A lot of people's beliefs and values and convictions are of course formed initially and primarily by their family backgrounds and I think that's true for you isn't it?
1: I think it's true for a lot of people and at times I almost feel sorry for people who's who are so much the fruit of their parents' loins they haven't they haven't veered away in any individual path whatsoever and I mean my parents are West Bengali immigrants um, my dad was a doctor my mum's a nurse they met at medical school And they were part of a sort of I wouldn't call mass immigration, but a a sizable immigration to the United Kingdom in the 50s, 60s and 70s of people whose um, primary motivation to work in Britain was to create an environment whereby their children could be educated to the best of uh, to to the best. Mm. Uh, And so it was it was kind of like a future investment that they'd make a good life being doctors and nurses and this, that, and the other. And as a result, their children would want for nothing. Um, when I say want for nothing, I don't mean in a financial way. I mean in an educational and emotionally nourishing way in that Britain was associated with good schools and good education. Uh, and that seemed to be very much, when it comes to the generation of my dad's doctors, doctor friends, the big motivating factor. So when I was a kid, I, w- I wasn't the kid that loved to play games. I was the kid that loved to read books because my mum and dad felt that buying me books was the best way that I could make the best of my life. And so I was always, from a very early age, a quietly clever kid or quietly knowledgeable kid, I think is the best, the best way to describe it. Uh, and that has that kind of always informed uh, the way I think about stuff.
0: And the VAT so said the value of education is something that you've carried forward yourself as being important to you
1: oh it's, it's I, I consider myself incredibly fortunate that my parents always put my education first it was the it was the be all and end all of why they were working hard to earn money and bring home money was to see their, their children uh, as best they can uh, and th- so therefore yes I think the, the pursuit of the pursuit of academic excellence and and knowledge was a big part of my life
0: and is that where the quizzing has come from? love of knowledge belief uh, in
1: knowledge i i th- I think that in many ways, a lot of us are prisoners of how we saw life between the ages of about eight and thirteen <laughs> yeah between the ages of about eight and thirteen. I just loved a quiz I just watched them all on i just watched them all on tele. And I remember about, at about the age of eight or nine, my mum and dad buy me um, a small book of general knowledge quiz facts. And it just kind of grew from there. And I was the kid that my dad's friends would always know at Christmas. Don't get him a toy. Don't get him anything enjoyable. Just get him a copy of that year's Guinness Book of Records. I was one of those kids. Everybody knew. Everybody knew that what I liked is to read facts.
0: What do they do for you? I mean, do you ever have you con sort of try to contemplate that about yourself what is it that you know that's that's doing for you why now with with the benefit of some decades of living with yourself have you do you think it was that or is that you that you feel that way
1: well life life's very different now because I'm a professional quizzer and as a professional quizzer you have to be pragmatic and go some facts aren't remotely interesting at all um but they get you a point in a quiz and there's nothing more there's absolutely nothing more to it than that but there are other ways in which um, it's quite enriching. Uh, the, the, the thing that I always say is that before I went into quiz, I had only a passing interest in art. And now mm. I, abs- I absolutely love it. And in the last five or six years, I've been to all the world's major art galleries with a greater understanding of the context of what I'm looking at in a artistic, cultural, and historical perspective. I think not, in that sense, knowledge can only improve your life because it incre- increases the scope of stuff that you're actually interested in, uh, and so very much I've gone from when I started quizzing, which was somebody who'd know facts just to get points, to somebody who likes to know about the history of the world, how everything connects, the context, uh, the context in which we all find ourselves, but particularly how how things connect. And so, in that sense, it every day is a new day. An, an exciting day because you know that you're going to find out something that enriches your soul
0: this is actually quite a i wasn't expecting to get into this necessarily this is actually quite a big debate in education isn't it the, the, the difference between or the the difference in value between knowledge on the one hand and then yeah. skills I mean, on the other
1: literally half an hour before we spoke i found out that benazir Bhutto started a degree course at harvard university at the age of 16 because her dad the former president of pakistan had pulled strings with the economist jk Galbraith and that for me is is more interesting than knowing what's the second highest mountain in the urals it, right that, that, that that's kind of a sort of more interesting approach to quizzing where you you, you realize that nepotism has gone on for a lot a lot a lot longer than uh, you thought and that's kind of what i mean when i say the two types of facts there's facts that get you a point and there's facts that make you feel better that you know the facts because they open up yeah. whole new vistas. Yeah.
0: I can see that. When your parents were concentrating on education, um, was it for them a virtue to be interested in education? Did they think it, would, it, it, was, Absolutely. it was a better way?
1: And, and when I go back to Calcutta, I realise I that it's, it's, it's a universal thing. There's a Hindu goddess called Saraswati, and she's the goddess of learning. And in, in, my, in my family background, she is as revered as any, any in the pantheon of Hindu gods and goddesses. And when I was a teenager, uh, I think it comes around every um, January, the festival to the goddess Saraswati. My parents, who are not religious especially, uh, would make me uh, just take a few moments to worship at the shrine of goddess Saraswati, because for them... It was an important thing to do, uh, but it was more. It was more about. Um, I'm looking for a word here um, that I can't quite bring to mind. When you are trusting in fate rather than religion, superstition. Sorry.
0: Oh, superstition.
1: It was more, it was more superstition than a gen- genuine belief in the in Hinduism practicing. But to me, it's an identity rather than a belief system. Hmm. Um, my my mum and dad, my, my dad more so, my dad was born in 1940, um, which was so he was seven years old during the civil war that followed the uh, India Pakistan partition, uh, and with that background in mind, I find that the strongest the strongest belief my dad has as a Hindu is that he is not a Muslim. That you know Hinduism is his identity, but it's not necessarily his belief system. I don't think he believes there was actually an elephant god called Ganesh. I don't think right. that these people with 10 arms um, are in control of, of our fates and our emotions, but right. I think he believes that he was He lives life as a Hindu, and he'll always be a Hindu. And for, for him, it's an, it's an identity thing.:
0: And is there any way in which that identity is important to you, either as the son?: yes, yeah.
1: yes, absolutely. I, I consider myself a non-practicing Hindu. I don't consider myself not a Hindu I consider myself a Hindu by identity rather than belief system yeah because my I was brought up I was brought up a Hindu and I was brought up with my parents cultural values which have enriched my life I don't get to sit down now and go actually that bit doesn't exist because that was a, that was a crucial part of my my heritage and my growing up uh, and I would be doing my parents a massive disservice I think if I said that I wasn't a Hindu what I, mean, I, this is, what I am is a non-practicing Hindu, which I mean, apart from uh, one or two festivals every year, the Hinduism doesn't affect my life in any way.
0: This is something obviously we encounter in Britain, you know, amongst humanists in Britain more now than we did, you know, 100 years ago. People with Hindu backgrounds or Sikh backgrounds, um, even Muslim backgrounds where those identities are important to them ethnically, um, who who say what you've just said, you know, that they've got a, uh, a humanist worldview, a, a scientific or rationalist worldview, um, but at the same time, they've, they've got a culture and ethnicity that they don't jettison because of that. I mean, that's quite different from humanists of... Uh, Bertrand Russell or E.M. Forster's generation, you know, the inspiration True. for this series, because they they felt they, they must reject the, the Christian aspects of their parents and grandparents because they were about belief, you know, not about culture, and so they had to go. But that's not the case today, I think. Well, for- I, 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 my, I
1: in 1999, uh, in autumn, we went for a family holiday to India, and it was at the same time as uh, West Bengal's biggest Hindu festival. Which is a festival to the goddess Durga. We don't do Diwali. No one's ever quite explained to me why West Bengalis don't do Diwali, but we don't do Diwali. We do this big thing called the Durga Puja, Uh, and Calcutta is uh, awash, Um, awash. I don't know if that's the right word, but the whole, the whole of the city has been turned into a massive twenty-four hour shrine to the goddess Durga, and on an aesthetic and artistic. Uh, scale, it's an extraordinary, thrilling thing to see, to see these people going from shrine to shrine to shrine, having a whale of a time, enjoying themselves. And we turned up to one of the shrines and my dad's sister's husband, who I get on with very well, my dad's elder sister's husband, he just turned to me and went, of course, it's all nonsense. Shh. And I just looked at him and went, huh? And I don't know. Oh, it's just It's just a bit of fun, but it's, it's all nonsense. And it, for, for the first time, it, I realised that not everybody taking part in these uh, viscera, viscerally powerful religious festivals necessarily believed in the background to it. They were just doing it because it's what they do and because it's yeah. fun. It's a socially strengthening and uniting, you know, a, a religious festival well done and and politely observed is in my opinion a socially enriching cultural thing
0: and so that's what you take from that is that that's something you believe that religions like any other product of human culture can um divorce from belief at least
1: can have a a social i'm not anti-religious i i don't know how many humanists i i don't know how many humanists you hear hear say these words but i am not anti-religion what i am is anti-anybody who thinks that their religious beliefs uh, should apply to other people and how they live their lives. That's what I'm anti. As far as I'm concerned, you're entitled to your own religious beliefs. You're entitled to turn to me and my husband. You're absolutely entitled to turn to me and my husband and say, I wish you well, but I don't agree that you got married because God said this and God said that and God said this. As far as I'm concerned, they're entitled to that. What, in my opinion, they're not entitled to say is, I believe the government should ban gay marriage. Because I think that's where your, an arrogance has set in, that you believe that your, your own religious beliefs should be applied by everybody. And I think that's, that's, for me, that's a simplistic version of how I see religion. It's your own personal choice. And you're entitled, to, you're entitled to live your life by those personal choices. But the idea that other people should live their lives by your personal choices is, in my opinion, the most extraordinary example of hubristic arrogance you could possibly imagine.
0: And is there anything of your parents' culture in that? I mean, there's a long tradition of Indian secularism, a diverse culture, uh, many different ways, even within Hinduism itself is that something that they also were keen on
1: my parents I think would probably go with me i don't think I, I don't think I'm exaggerating to say that the I am not a Muslim seems to be the biggest part of their Hindu yeah
0: identity. Uh, well we're seeing that with Hindu nationalism now in India in a yeah, way with probably.
1: this and I know that my my dad has got into uh big arguments with with friends about the scale of their personal their personal islamophobia um mm. uh, because my dad's not like that he he's not got anything he's not got anything uh, he's not got anything against muslim people he just wouldn't want his son or daughter marrying one uh, in trips to india in the past we enjoyed the hospitality of muslim friends mm. who were quite clearly extraordinarily close to my mum and dad it's it's just that marriage from the back, from the background that my mum and dad come from Marriage is not a casual thing. Marriage is, marriage is you know, in, in, entrenched in, in, in how they live their lives. Uh, and obviously with me being gay, that's forced them to revise some of the things that they've, you know, that's forced them to revise these opinions because, uh, you know, once I'm marrying a man, surely when it comes to the religion of the man that I'm marrying, all bets are off. <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, I, I've never actually asked my dad, um, how would you feel if I married a Muslim man? But I suspect the answer would be no big deal at all. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's it's very, very difficult to judge people negatively when they lived through a civil war where their relatives were being slaughtered. And, and, and You know, and these cultural—some people lose these cultural ties, and some people hold on to them.
0: Obviously, you're famous as a a quizzer and uh, through television and and in other ways, but you're also well known as for stand-up comedy. Now, I'd like to to think so. Yeah, Um, I've talked to other uh, stand-ups for this series, um, and some of them have actually found a lot of their own personal values, beliefs about life embodied in their comedy. Is that true for you? Does the oh. fact that you're, you do stand-up say something about your... Is there something there we can find about your worldview and all of that?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I couldn't do stand-up comedy without a worldview. Mm. But increasingly, that worldview has become less and less political and more and more personal. Um, I... I think the world of comedy has changed and I think that change has been brought on by social media, Facebook and Twitter, that um, uh, social media puts us in the spotlight, being on television puts us on the spotlight and people can find out sooner enough uh, whether a comedian shares their world view and increasingly people don't want to go and see comedians who don't share their worldview. Oh really? I, I, as, as, yeah. as there's more selectivity in the market. Yeah. Um, and, and as a result, I don't give my worldview as often. <laughs> right. I, I used to give my worldview more more frequently, uh, but also it's it's tif- difficult for me because I'm a mainstream ITV um, figure as well. So I'm not expected to give my worldview as much as I was before I was on ITV. And I find that as soon as you open your mouth, you make 100 enemies. As soon as you make your, open your mouth to express yeah. any political opinion whatsoever, yeah. you make a hundred enemies. And so, increasingly, I've, I, I've kept a lot of my political views to myself, without ever really hiding the fact that I'm more on the left than on the right on the, on, on the political spectrum. So,
0: political values did did inform.
1: Well, uh, I started comedy, comedy when the, I started comedy when we didn't have gay civil partnerships, let alone right, exactly. I started comedy when I was the only openly gay British Asian comedian on the comedy circuit. And you got to play with what you you got to play with what you're given. I'm clearly going to talk about conflict, social conflict, religious conflict. These are things that are going to inform, um, how I, how I see my comedy. Um, in 2005, I came out of the closet to my dad and his broadly positive response um, it was somewhere between apathy and positivity she was totally <laughs> supportive um, informed the comedy that i 've done since then in terms of telling exploring what this all means i think this this coming out thing i mean obviously all gay comedians have a coming out story, but for me, this coming out to my dad in two thousand and five was the the springboard to my comedy career because it just gave gave me a context with which to put every, everything around it. Uh, and, you know, there's no doubt that my my family relationships and my personal relationships uh, are very much now what inform my comedy. And often these are political, you know, my family relationships and my personal relationships are often political things. You know, you, you can't always divorce personal politics from, from personal life. Uh, and prior to meeting my current husband I was in a four-year relationship with an extremely right-wing man I could right. not turn that into comedy
0: um, no well that's 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 asking for comedy
1: <laughs> yes um and I can't, I can't not turn that into comedy so re- real life informs my comedy I don't do many I don't do many jokes that aren't rooted in real life
0: so you but you believe in comedy as a way of exploring real life oh good lord yes
1: uh, yeah. absolutely and I really you know without wishing to blow my own trumpet I'm really really proud of what I represent, which is a mainstream i t v tea time uh quiz person who goes out into the sticks and talks openly and honestly about his life without ever blinking uh, I'm, I'm upfront um, and you know and i you know I occasionally get people walking out i, I mean i in a in a, in a Edinburgh preview gig in Rotherham a couple three years two three years ago, I had about ten or fifteen people walking out because they just didn't realise I was gay. Um, Really, and that's why they walked out. Yeah, Um, Mm. it was pretty. It was pretty clear. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not saying it's without problems, but I'm saying that at the end of a gig, at the at the end of an hour and a quarter gig, I'm really proud of what I've produced and that I've brought. My brand of comedy to a relatively mainstream audience, uh, without ever compromising about who I am and what I am. Um, so
0: a lot of a lot of your beliefs that seem very important to you are about uh, this question, this question of not compromising your personal identity, being aware of your identity, of its value, and also how it's used, is that is that fair to say? I
1: feel that that's very fair to say. And if there is a and if there is a belief that. Tends to unite the various strands that make up the humanist movement. It is a belief that, in all likelihood, we're only here once. Yes. And I don't want to waste. I don't want to waste my time on this planet and have regrets when it's when it's my turn, when it's my turn to to shuffle off the mortal coil. And this has been very much exacerbated by, by my diagnosis last year of Parkinson's disease. Yes. Um, Parkinson's disease. When I mean, I. It didn't come as a shock. Um, I I knew that my body was behaving in what can only be described as unusual ways. uh, And it didn't come as a shock. But what it did was it just switched on a button. And and that button basically just said, right, do what you like now. Uh, It's absolutely time to do what you like. And by do what you like, what I mean is don't really have any fear in expressing yourself and just, be, be, be the person that you've always wanted to be because you have no idea now when your time is going to run out.
0: And it was that strongly you felt that mortality was a, a spur to self-expression.
1: Absolutely. and I don't really tend to hold back now when it comes to expressing opinions out of politeness. I just tend to go, this is my chance to say what I want to say. Because as I literally have no idea where my faculties are going to start to go, and I want to say as much as humanly as humanly possible before that time happens, Um, and so I've been very much a little uh, unleashed, really, uh, in in the last in the last twelve months, just doing what I want to do. I don't mean I'm I don't mean I'm going wild. I mean that panel show. I will say the joke that I wanted to say and if it fails it fails. There's there's an there's an episode of Beat the Chasers our spin-off show where I perform a rap to one of the contestants. Uh, and literally all that was going through my mind before I did the rap was this is the only chance you're ever going to have to perform a rap on a television program. Just do it. If it doesn't work they'll just take it out of the edit. This is inconceivable way of thinking to me two years ago um and
0: so you found this empowering
1: yeah absolutely i mean i I've, I've i've recently had um COVID nineteen hmm. uh, for the first two weeks of being locked uh, in lockdown, I was in bed with a swirling fever and a cough and uh, absolute physical exhaustion uh, and as a result. I wasn't getting any of the side effects from a Parkinson's medication, which is uh, uh, slight, you know, slight anxiety, difficulty, sleeping, constantly alert, constantly awake and constantly creative. I feel that these side effects have come back and I'm delighted. I'm, i mean, not many people say I'm delighted to have the side effects of my medication come back, but I've been living with my, the side effects of my medication for a while and I like them. I like the person that I like the person that is that is that has made me become, which is just a little bit more impulsive, uh, and a little bit more alert and a little bit more creative. I, I, I actually enjoy these, and the COVID nineteen and knocked these symptoms these symptoms out of me, and I'm really pleased to you know. Not many people would celebrate sleepless sleeplessness, um, <laughs> and, and anxiety. But I've embraced. I've just spent 12, eleven months embracing it, and then I just saw it disappear. And I'm yes. really glad it's back. Yes, it means that my husband has to deal with a lot more tantrums and emotional breakdowns. That's his <laughs> problem, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, this is this is
0: definitely a very interesting observation. The idea that this diagnosis and these facts have have been empowering for you. Um, do you think there was anything about you that set, set these things up for being empowering? I mean, obviously, some people um, would, would fall apart with hopelessness um, at a diagnosis or wouldn't have the same effects as you. Was there any, any beliefs you had going into this that you Do you think- know
1: what? It's, it's not so much belief system as having a family who've always coped with every bit of stress, uh, every bit of stress with grace, and magnanimity and calmness. I think the most important thing in my life in terms of influence is the fact that my dad has had three heart attacks and two coronary artery bypass operations, and my mum had a double mastectomy for breast cancer. And they've provided me with a template of how to behave in life. To be to you know, they provide me with this template of being calm and pragmatic and just getting on with things that isn't necessarily the template that I've lived my life by in the past, but one that I've determined to live my life by now. Because when I was diagnosed with Parkinson's, all I thought was my mum waking up from a double mastectomy, my dad waking up from his bypass operation, and thinking I've got to be as brave as them. I can't, I can't, It'll be an insult to to their struggles for me to, not do everything I can to cope with what what cards I've been dealt with. And I think that, I I mean, a lot of people will talk about the influence their mum and dad had on their lives. For me, it's been colossal. It's been absolutely colossal to the point that I went through the rigmarole when I decided I wanted to marry my husband of going to my mum and dad and saying, do you know what? If this is all too much for you, just say so. And I won't do it, genuinely. I I had that conversation really? with her because because um, I didn't want them to have a day that they hated. Because uh, and 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 they were fine, you know. They said no, absolutely, get married because because you know British Asians fetishise social stability. About <laughs> you know that, that, that I think that they once it was decided I wanted to live the rest of my life with Oliver. I think they would rather that it was a marriage than something less stable. Right. Than that. Um, but it, it is that sort of we are close in 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 that way that um, I would consider their I would consider their feelings first before uh, making making the decision. And I, I consider myself really really fortunate that religion. Has always been just an identity rather than a belief system for my family.
0: Knowledge as a gateway to personal improvement, facts that enrich, living your one life, the example and culture of family. Paul Sinha, thank you for telling us what you believe.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: That was Paul Sinha telling us about his life and his outlook on the world as a humanist for the What I Believe podcast. What I Believe is a weekly podcast from Humanist UK. And this was the seventh episode of the first season. We'll be releasing new episodes on Thursdays. If you'd like to support the podcast or find out more about humanism, about Humanist UK, or about the work that we do, you can find it out at the Humanist UK website, humanists.uk, where you could also sign up as a supporter or a member. Next week, I'll be talking to philosopher and novelist Rebecca Goldstein about what she believes.